Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week we cover business topics to help you grow your full-time business or your side hustle. We'll also bring you interviews from a variety of people winning in their space to share valuable business insights and life lessons. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host John Malecki runs a full-time furniture company and his content site, JohnMalecki.com. We've been growing our successful businesses online, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 58. We talk a lot about getting to yes with clients and sponsors and how to grow your business, but something that should get just as much conversation is when to say no. Today, we're going to talk about how to evaluate opportunities and requests And when saying no is going to make you and your business better in the long run. But before we get into it, we do want to thank some new members that joined the MFP Patron Tribe this this week. We had Gary R. Halder, Tom Zellickman, Dominic Biasco, and Bryce Robel. Thank you so much, guys, for joining over there. If you'd like to support the show and get some cool rewards along with that, including our after show, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. John, what is up, my man? I am just trying to cool off after our week at the Maker Ranch in Joshua Tree, as well as catch my breath and catch up with my life. Um, When this episode drops, we'll be back for about a week, and I am completely up to my ears in all the things that we left behind as we just went out there and cranked out projects for a full week straight. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm just sifting through that stuff. And then I am actually leaving for vacation the day before this episode drops, which will be my first vacation. That wasn't a bachelor party since I think like 2004, five. Nice. So yeah, (laughs) it's been a minute since I've, uh, since I've taken time off to just go relax. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, Maker Ranch was awesome. Um, <laughs> I know, just out there, like, working out in the heat. Uh, so big shout out to, to Ben and Mike and Jesse for having us out there. Uh, and we will actually have an episode coming up. We got a chance. Uh, we were on their podcast, and then uh, we had a chance to talk with them. And they will be out next week, so... Be on the lookout for that, uh, where we talk about their new company. Uh, and so, yeah, that was that was awesome. Uh, it was kind of interesting uh, sleeping on scaffolding. So <laughs> when you go to Maker Ranch, yeah, that, that was the theme for me and John. It's like, when in Maker Ranch, do as Maker Ranch does. You know, when in Rome, do as the Romans. So yeah, those, I slept those on guys scaffolding. Are, those guys are on a whole other level out there. I mean, like, they they just, they are work machines. Yeah. Everything, everything else is suffers. secondary. Everything is secondary <laughs> yeah. to making. Yes, everything. Yeah. Everything. I mean. Everything. everything. No couch. No couch in the house. Just a lot of other no. made projects pushed over in a corner yeah. and a nice photography wall. No television, <laughs> no cable. I mean, if you're not no working, nothing. you're sleeping or eating. And that's about it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so it was it was really fun. We had a, we had a blast out there. Uh, make sure you go check out uh, our Instagram channels if you missed that. And we'll also have a bunch of projects coming out. So I I put I just released the wireless charging desk, which is great. Uh, excited to get that out, and then um, we'll just be coming out with all of our projects. I think shortly after this episode airs for me and John and Mike, uh, some projects that we worked on together. Yeah. And also, um, we were on an episode of the modern maker podcast, which if you want to check out, we will have links in the description yeah. for this video. So yeah, one hundred one. this episode, one hundred one for, for that one. 
Awesome, man. Well, yeah, we wanted to hit on saying no. So we just talked about sponsorships a couple of weeks ago. And so one of the things we had a lot of uh, great feedback and conversation over in the Facebook group. So if, if you're not a part of that, make sure you go check that out. Uh, the Made for Profit Tribe over there on Facebook. And um, and then just in Instagram and other places. And uh, what was interesting, especially as we were out there at Maker Ranch and talking with Ben and Mike. Um, and so between the four of us, we've been doing this for a while. Uh, ben, the longest. Uh, you know, then me, then uh, I think, John, you and you and Mike are probably pretty close to when you guys started. But uh, we've been doing this for a long time. So we're at the point where we have uh, gotten past, you know, getting to yes with with sponsors uh, and then John with clients, client work. And, you know, part of the, that conversation and something we talked about a lot was like when to say no and like what opportunities we were tied into and then kind of lamenting like, man, I really wish I had not signed up for X, Y, or Z uh, because it's killing me now because I didn't think about, you know, A, B, and C down the road. Um, I guess that should have been reversed, A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z, but whatever. And and so we wanted to hit that today because uh, either if you're doing commission work uh, or doing content work, there's always times uh, and more often than not where you're going to want to say no and turn it down for for different reasons. Yeah, and it's also a question that uh, keeps popping up when we're doing our coaching calls is is the right timing for turning down clients. Um, something I've talked about previously on the show is my own personal experience when it comes to certain projects um, and specifically working in client work. And so I think we'll start the conversation there because we know most of uh, you guys and girls that are listening are dealing with the the custom um, type of workflows and and not as much in the content. And, and we will touch on that a bit too, because we do know um, that a lot more of our patrons and a lot more of our listeners are becoming influencers in the space. So with that, you know, the, the, the first aspect of saying no or learning to say no is going to come um, in when you're dealing with your personal and professional time management. Um, and we're going to kind of try to categorize these uh, into segments here as we go through the conversation. But one thing we've talked about on the show before that is extremely important is your time management. As you all know, if you've listened to some of our earlier episodes, um, I sit down with myself once a week and have a scheduling meeting, um, typically on Mondays at 930 in the morning. So don't bother me then. But with that, <laughs> um, time management is something that can easily just ruin your life. Honestly, it can take away from all the enjoyment that's supposed to come with being self-employed. It can take away from time with your family, with your children, with your significant other, with people you care about. Um, if you don't manage it properly, and this is going to be a, the, the first factor that we, um, think you should be considering when you're looking to take on new clients. Um, basically, can you fit them in um, and can you fit them in in a timely manner in which you're not going to be sacrificing the other aspects of what you're doing? Um, right. So Both for business and personal business and right. personal. And mm. we're going to keep this conversation. It's so sexy. To, it's so sexy to say yes. Right. You're oh. like, yes. Like, especially if it's like a big I think that's one thing time management, because uh, the dollar signs can can, you know, start. It's like the old well, you're too young for that. But for all my for all of our older listeners out there, it's like the old Bugs Bunny. Uh, where the the dollar signs are spinning in his eyeballs, the cartoon. When he I'm hears not that things. young. I <laughs> I know that but, reference. Yes, that was syndication. But yes, and so you're like, yeah, you hear that? They're like, yeah, we we'd love to have a um, 
you know, walnut dining table and our, our budget's uh, 10,000. Uh, what? 10,000? Yes, this is right up my alley. Uh, I know I can make good money on this. Uh, I, you know, I've made a bunch of these before. These are, are great clients. And you, you kind of say yes on the spot mm-hmm. without going back and going, okay, what's in the log right now? You know, and, and, and on top of that, it's not so bad to say yes, but it's like, yeah, oh yeah. And I can get that to you in, and we'll need it in six weeks. Oh yeah. No problem. No yeah. problem. So cause and those, where like, does that fit in? Yeah. Those casual off the cuff conversations. One, we do not recommend managing your client inquiries that way. But two, those off the cuff conversations, it's so easy to say yes. You know, like you said, Brad, uh, six weeks, no problem. Squeeze it in. That's plenty right. of time. But, you know, you'll fall into situations where if you don't have if you don't completely own your schedule, that this can really bite you in the butt down the line. Um, me personally, right now, I'm dealing with it because I backlogged my schedule with some client work that I knew was going to be wrapping up uh, mid-July that deadline got pushed because the client's home wasn't ready. And I have two and a half weeks of travel and personal things going on that are now we're in the middle of them and I'm home for three days and I've got to squeeze this client work into those three days. Um, I was up at six in the morning last night and left my shop at 12. Uh, so like those things are piling up because I, took on this client work with kind of like that. Yeah. A good dollar sign kind of thing. I can fit it in. Now we had plenty of time, but other things do pop up. So managing your time is going to be our first recommendation into when you should and shouldn't say yes to uh, new projects coming in the door or new opportunities. So, you know, things are, and the time about that too, the, um, the, the, uh, the buffer. Yes. Because if you don't leave yourself buffer, You'll have what'll happen is exactly what happened to you, right? Yeah. So I, I do that all the time. I fortunately I don't leave any buffer. <laughs> I left this buffer, but I left the buffer for content work. Like I planned on coming back from Maker Ranch, being able to crank three days out of uh, video and content editing. And what ended up happening was I'm subbing out parts of a project that were supposed to be delivered mid July that I expected to be delivered end of August that got bumped up to beginning of August. And now I'm trying to squeeze it all in while I'm home. And it's just a complete and utter nightmare. Um, and, and with that, this stuff happens all the time, especially when oh, you're yeah. dealing with high dollar clients. If someone's paying you a significant amount of money for a piece of furniture, um, you're not going to say no to their timeline if it's been in the pipeline for months. And that's what this has been because it was in conjunction with a home build and it's for a very high end prestigious client in our area. So like for that stuff, you're going to want to be looking at, um, how you're blocking off your time. Now, If you're looking at a project and a possibility of building something, you need to be considering a lot of factors. First being the um, fact finding and consultation aspect of that project. Um, What happens to me a ton is because I'm able to do a vast majority of things like a lot of the uh, a lot of you, you guys and girls that are listeners to the show, you're going to get inquiries for ridiculous stuff. Um, We've talked about this before and everything from, you know, building (laughs) hidden doors in the floor to installing trim work. You know, we're all capable of doing some sort of this quote unquote carpentry work, but does it actually fit into your schedule? So for a project that is new to your repertoire, for instance, uh, a lot of us want to spread in and and spread our wings and, you know, vasten our uh, portfolio on what we're capable of doing. 
And in that, you're going to have a lot more time invested in the fact finding, the on site measuring, the right. travel, and yep. the uh, and, and the client Just relationship the bumps aspect and bruises. of it. Yeah, and, so, and the bumps and bruises when you screw something up. So what you don't realize and when you say yes immediately is like, okay, this is going to be an eight, eight man hours to build this project. But, you know, because it's just a simple built-in, you still probably have three to five hours of travel time on location, measuring, delivery, and installation that you're not factoring into that. So your eight-hour day just turned into, say, a 12 to 15-hour day. Okay, so that's going to get spread out over two days. And now, you know, you got to think of situations where is a client have a day job? Okay, so that's now bumped to an evening installation, which is going to be over the course of three days now. Because so you could see how a one day man hour project, for instance, can turn into three or four days because of on the on site visits. And that doesn't factor into the pre uh, build process that that comes up as well. So owning your uh, schedule in your calendar is going to be vastly important to uh, being able to uh, eliminate all of the yeses or going through the process of saying no, um, especially when it comes to the initial conversation on a uh, custom work. And my suggestion is going to be never commit to something immediately. Always let the client know, I'll let me check my schedule and get back to you. Right. And that's part of part of that, too. It ties directly into uh, kind of the the next piece or a major factor of whether you're going to say yes or not is is your current backlog. So as you're looking at, you know, what is your backlog? Do you have projects that are already on the books? Uh, and that's exactly what John's talking about. So having having time management, but also, um, you know, kind of that the, the CRM customer uh, relation management as well and knowing all your backlog and all those things that you've got there that you've committed to, or you're waiting for an answer from a client. So if you only have, uh, if you only have on your, you know, Google doc or whatever, all the things that are locked and loaded, signed and deposits for then, and you're, and you're not looking at the, Oh yeah, well, I've got three other inquiries that are out that I'm just waiting deposit or for them to sign the contract. You know, you have to make sure that you're managing all those different pieces and parts because that's how it can sneak up on you is exactly what John's saying. So if if uh, you went in there and didn't go back and check all those things and just looked at signed work, but you had out already given people, you know, already given three or four other people a six week lead time. And then all of a sudden they all come back at the same time and go, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. Uh, then, you know, you're going to be in a pickle and you're going to be having to put in those extra hours and, and possibly disappointing some of those clients. So look at your backlog. That's going to be one of the most important things is, is looking and understanding and making sure that you're matching that up with your time management. And I think that's, you know, without making this into a time management episode, I think that's uh, something that you have to also make sure you're putting in your personal stuff because uh, you know, like for the podcast, like John's going to be on vacation. He just talked about the top of the show. I'm going to be going on vacation in a couple of weeks. Uh, so as we're looking at our own personal content production and, you know, John's commission work, like we're having to factor these things in about not just uh, going on vacation, but we also have to do stuff for made for profit that we have to pull ahead. That if we're not thinking about it, if we're not putting it on our calendar, we're going to miss it. And we're going to be like, oh, dang, I got I got to do this. Right. And we've been <laughs> we've been going through that a bit this week about kind of rearranging schedules and working and other people had things that came up. And so uh, th that's just a, a huge part of saying yes is where does it fit into the schedule? And uh, if you don't take that time and if you're doing it on the fly, you're, you know, 
you're going to run into issues and I'm sure you all have. And, and we, we definitely do. Uh, and that's something we're constantly working on. So, yeah, I, I mean, think that's a huge one uh, that that's probably the biggest one that people fall into is just the timing of it. Yeah. And that's probably the most obvious and why we had it first is because um, if your schedule doesn't fit it, that's a great time to be able to say no or, you know, let me uh, let me get back to you. Um, I think I'm going to free up, you know, come, say, October. Uh, those are good opportunities to start building that relationship. And if that person's squeezed for time, they've got to pay for it. Um, you know, if they want something bumped up the timeline, you are going to have to be able to think of it as a business. And in that, you know, if you were working overtime for somebody else in order to get a project done that was squeezed into the schedule, you should be paid and compensated for that properly. So the next aspect is going to be the money. You know, if someone comes at you and they need a, you know, a dining table done for 10 grand and they need it done in four weeks, you obviously don't want to turn that down if you have a high chance of profitability. But with that, you've got to understand that the price point is going to dignify you squeezing that in, um, not the, uh, you know, the schedule possibly having free hours. You have to look at it in the fact that, um, say you can get this table done in those eight man hours in this four weeks. Well, you have to squeeze two hours a night for the next, uh, you know, week because it's going to take you 30 minutes to set up and clean up each night. It's going to take you eight days to get this done instead of one full day. Um, you should be getting paid double what you're getting paid on your typical hourly rate. Um, so the money is actually that price is going to dignify or justify, excuse me, what you're taking on and what you're saying no to in those instances compared to, oh, you know, let me check and then trying to squeeze a project that say may not have that high dollar price to it. Um, yeah. On the other end of it, it's going to be too little money, right? I mean, if you're looking at the money factor and someone's approaching you and they're saying, you know, hey, I'd like to get a dining table for a thousand bucks and you're pricing properly and you're using the MFP pricing guide and you're trying to grow your business and not just hustle uh, to make an extra few bucks. You're going to like run the numbers and realize that that's probably not in your price range unless you're getting your wood for free and you work for free or something. But with that, <laughs> um, unless you're a charitable. Yes. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> with lower price points, you're going to run into the same thing and it's going to be a lot, um, a lot more common than you think uh, just because the market typically doesn't understand pricing on custom work because there's so much information available to, uh, to individuals on the internet that like have Ikea improper and Target pricing. And, right. That, that they don't understand the materials, the quality, the construction, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. So, so definitely for number two, the, the biggest thing is that, that we hear people, um, you know, just in the tribe and in the coaching is also accepting work at, a, at that lower rate. But um, the key thing on, on the rate and the money though is that it is direct, so it's, it, it doesn't stand alone. So the key thing, the biggest thing on money is that there's a direct correlation to how much money you can accept and what your backlog is, what's in the pipeline. Because if you have zero in the pipeline and you normally charge 2,000 bucks for a coffee table and somebody wants to pay, pay you a grand and you're still going to make a little bit of cheese off it, uh, then maybe that's what you do, you know, and, and you do that to, to keep busy, to keep the work and just, uh, to make a little bit of money uh, instead of saying no. So that's in the same point in time, if you're booked out until January and we're sitting here at the beginning of August and somebody says, Hey, I want a coffee table. Uh, you know, there's, there's the other, 
side of the spectrum and say, hey, I've I've got a long lead. Uh, and then, you know, depending upon how you want to do that, I know people do it different ways. Some people uh, I know this is really big in contracting uh, more so in furniture, but they'll give you like the further their timeline is, the higher they hike up their margin. Right. So now that two thousand dollar coffee table just became twenty five because and they'll just keep quoting people at twenty five hundred. Uh, and if people say, yes, that's great. And then if that backlog starts creeping back towards 90 days, then they'll go back to their normal pricing. Uh, so, you know, you can decide if that's the right move for you or not. Uh, but at the same time, if somebody says, hey, I've got to have this in three weeks and they say, hey, I'm going to pay you four grand. Can you do a rush for me again? You know, that's when you, you have to bump back up to the time one. So is that extra money worth it? Can you fit it in and keep your other clients happy? So uh, it's, it's a sliding scale, but, um, you know, don't. If you've got some good work in the pipeline, you know, it's the old adage, the one in the hand is worth two in the bush type thing is, is that, that that's a hard one. That's always the hard one is, is when to turn it down when you're kind of at that cusp. Like you've got one project you're working on, you've got another one right after it. And then somebody's trying to hit you up at a lower price than you want to work for. What do you do with it? That's that's where the rubber meets the road right there. Those are the tough calls. So these are the interesting situations where you're going to have to do some self-evaluation, in my opinion. Um, with that, as custom inquiries are coming in and they're below uh, what you're typically charging um, for, you know, with that, you're going to have a lot. You're going to either have to realize that your price too high for the existing market that you're in, or you're going to have to start building uh, projects where you can get cheaper labor. And that would mean either hiring or subcontracting other people to do so. Um, this happens to me a lot where I get inquiries that, you know, a lot of, um, the lower price stuff. Um, I get tons of, tons of wedding gifts and cornhole boards because I have content out there that's searchable, um, that, you know, people find all the time, but I don't want to build those. Like I don't make any money on that type of stuff. I've done them as favors. I did them in the past, but that's not where my business model is at the moment. So what I'll do is if I'm capable of handling whatever this inquiry is, and I've got a local you know, friend or somebody in the area who has a side hobby and they pick up work um, and they're looking to make an extra couple bucks. If someone's looking for a $500 piece um, and I think that I can make some money on it, you know, I got a buddy who can do it for 300. I'll take the 200 off the top and sub it out to them and let the person know that I'll handle all the, um, all the money and in, in inner, excuse me, all the transactional aspects of the build and I'll do the design. Um, so like, you know, there's situations where you can make money on the lower margin, excuse me. Yeah. The lower margin stuff. If you were physically building it, you just can't physically build it. And if you're charging $50 an hour and projects going to take you 15 hours and their budget's 500, like obviously you're not coming anywhere close to that. Um, so you, those are situations that you, you can consider, um, and either say yes or no to, but don't immediately jump at the no, just because it's a low price. If you're able to sub it out to somebody who's doing comparable work, um, that you can, uh, you know, still make a couple bucks on. I yeah. like it, it. That's those are always interesting situations for me too. I've run into it where they've been great, and I've run into it where I wanted to strangle someone. And like it's 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 a very thin line to walk. It's it's very difficult to find um, somebody who's willing to subcontract work from you and produce the quality and enthusiasm and. Uh, you know, the, the intangible aspects of the product that come along with you physically doing it and them doing it on your behalf. Um, 
So if you're going to go that route, be sure that you are vetting the individual you're subcontracting to um, and that every single aspect of that project that can go wrong, you're clearly outlining it. That way, if something does happen, the other party is held responsible and you're not eating it or trying to make up for it. Yeah. And that that's I mean, that that is a great way to extend your business. But like John said, I mean, that you'd um, you know, that's a very fine line, because like what you said, John, you, you could hold them accountable, but accountable. But in the end, uh, you're accountable to your customer. Right. So no matter what you've got in place with this person, when they don't meet the expectations of the customer, it's on you. So, um, you know, I would highly suggest if you are going to subcontract to give yourself enough time that you could recover and do it yourself for the client if it came to it and until you vet that person right so if if you've worked with this person they've done you know two or three things for you then you're like okay i feel really confident in them that's great um but yeah getting started with that uh you know that that's like (laughs) so hitting on the content side uh you know that's exactly what i did with my video editing right I, i subcontracted that out to somebody tried to bring on help to do it uh, had some deadlines I had to hit, gave it to them. Uh, they did not meet the expectations of what I was going to do. And, and we just didn't, didn't connect. Uh, and it wasn't a great fit. And so then I was left holding the bag and, and then, uh, and I didn't factor the timing for that. So I was behind on my deadline, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's definitely something. So flipping it over a bit, uh, cause we've been talking commission work, but for content work, uh, like John mentioned, a, a lot of you guys and gals are getting out there and uh, starting to um, work with sponsors, which is which is amazing. And talking about, like we said, talking with the sponsorship, uh, let's talk sponsorship episode that we just did is uh, the as you start doing it more and more, people are going to start asking for it. And so what's going to happen? And we talked about it in that episode is, is understand what you're signing up for, because it sounds great when somebody says, hey, I'm going to send you, uh, you know, a table saw and a planer. Uh, all I need from you is is just a few posts. You know, I, I just I need one a week. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then what you realize is doing one post a week. Uh, if you're wanting to do a quality post, is going to take time. And then you're not in the shop. So now you're going to have to go out there and try to manufacture something because then oh, you're on vacation. And I forgot about that. All those things is that uh, and I think it's even harder it's it's easier in content to get behind the eight ball because when you think about content versus building a, a project, you're like, oh yeah, it's just it's just an Instagram post. I can do that. Uh, but then with, <laughs> when you've signed up for one a week and then you've done that, you know, with two or three people, all of a sudden you're like, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into here? You know, it's it's like there's a lot more to do. Uh, so the content, same type thing. You got to look at the timing and the and the you know, the quality of what they're asking you for. And especially if you're trading posts just for free product, you know, like I said, if somebody's giving you a table saw on a planer and that's uh, several thousands of dollars worth of equipment, that's great. Uh, but, but be wary of what you're signing up for and make sure you understand how that's going to fit into your schedule, uh, especially if you're a side hustler. Yeah. And I think the easiest segue from that aspect of content is going to be in, is going to be into the uh, aligning with your brand. You know, if you're getting, products from one company and then another company that's competitive wants to uh, jump in and give you some free product. And then, you know, a a tangential product comes to market and someone wants to give you that as well in your Instagram feed or your content is turning into just a bunch of different tools 
uh, hypes and of promotions. all the same kind, <laughs> and they're all the same kind. You know, you're going to deter from the or uh, your initial your brand identity, um, and just be aware of that. You know, that can that also happens in custom work as well. And uh, if you're a table maker or a furniture maker, and someone wants uh, cabinets done, like yes, that's woodworking, and yes, it's somewhat in line with what you're doing, but is that where you want your brand to go? Is it aligned with where you are? So that's easily a question you should be asking when these inquiries come in um, as far as whether it's custom work or content. Um, so for myself, for instance, you know, I, I get a lot of inquiries for content um, based on uh, more of like a DIY tool set or, or products that I don't use uh, typically. Um, and they're paid gigs typically, and they're pretty pretty well paid gigs, but I have to turn those down because I, they, I personally do not feel like they align with my brand, the brand identity I'm trying to build, um, as well as the message that I would like to give to my audience. Um, and as ridiculous as that might sound to you as listeners or me turning down free tools and money to use them, um, it's just something that I hold true to my heart and that I feel like long term will be a better investment. Um, and it has proven that as well. Uh, so you know, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for uh, a lot of you out there that are putting the time and effort into becoming an influencer. Um, you're going to start to see a lot more inquiries from companies, say, that are overseas or trying to provide cheap Amazon affiliates or trying to provide um, mass produced, knocked off uh, hand tool products with just different labels on them and different colorings like those things are going to pop up. Um, my suggestion to you is going to be, you know, define your brand and who you are and what you want to be seen as in the space. Um, do you want to be seen as a tool reviewer? Do you want to see as a professional? Do you want to be seen as a general all around person, a handyman, a DIYer, like whatever you find your brand identity to align with, stick with it. There's going to be more inquiries down the line that fit what you're looking to do with your brand that you don't have to take on. Um, some of these ridiculous inquiries that will definitely fall into your lap um, long term. Yeah, because in what you'll see, and we talked about it last time, is that is that once you get to a certain level um, of followers or whatever, uh, or just you know status on any of these social platforms, is that companies will start approaching you. And and John is absolutely right. Like if you say yes to every single one of those, uh, I mean you're you're yeah. First of all, you won't stand for anything. It's kind of it's kind of like uh, getting you know, just mixed messaging because you're going to get offered stuff across the spectrum, like John said, all the way from the top to the bottom. Uh, and as well as multiple. So like when you look at uh, consumables for certain, like sandpaper and um, adhesives, like between sandpaper and adhesives, uh, probably in each of those categories, I've had at least six companies reach out to me that cover each of those categories over the past 12 months. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, most of them are direct competitors and some are, are niche differences for different types of things. And yeah, if I just said yes to every single one of them uh, and, and committed to promoting them, then, you know, I, I have no authenticity. It's, it's just, I'm just, like we said, uh, going for a quick buck and that's not, what it's about, you know, and, and that can be positioned differently. Like if you're a tour reviewer, that's a completely different thing, right? If you're saying, hey, I'm going to check this new thing out. I'm checking this new one. And there's a difference between uh, kind of checking them out and evaluating them and then giving your feedback and versus them paying you to promote and endorse them, 
right? So that mm -hmm. that's a very that's a very uh, clear line that w needs to be drawn there because uh, you know a lot of our buddies do tour reviews and they do get you know they get stuff from everybody, right? So uh, and that's part of what they do. They check it out and then they will um, look at it and give you their opinion. Yeah, me and, being one of them. Like I, I mean, I have a whole tour review section on my um, on my website, but uh, I keep that section distant from my Instagram and YouTube content. Um, YouTube, I'll let it spill over a little bit if I feel the tool is specific enough, like the brush sanders, for instance. Like that's something that I'm probably the only guy on YouTube that has the Makita brush sander um, that you know you were seeing consistently in content. So I did a review over there and like a side by side, but. But in that, you know, my my Instagram content does not um, start just flowing into tool reviews because that's part of my brand. Like I keep those lines crystal clear in that that is my uh, you know project and I guess more technique type of content compared to reviewing product. Um, so you know, there's ways to do both. But I I'll tell you this: the exposure my um, my my reviewed content gets is much, much less. Um, and that's because it's something that's tangential to what I'm doing, but it doesn't completely align with the brand and the identity of my brand as I've done it for the past three to four years. So, you know, the, you definitely want to be considering that. And if you're trying to be a professional woodworker and a carpenter, and you're trying to sell custom work, if a company wants to send you free tools to use and be seen in your content, like that's completely different. If that gives you an opportunity to make more money because you're not spending it on tools, like you absolutely want to consider that. But if you are going to take away from the content that you're providing to possible clients to promote tools, uh, you, you definitely want to consider if that's in line with your brand. Yeah. And as well, um, the timing of it all, right? You, you have to think about, about the, what it looks like when you transition between those. Uh, so if, if you were using all yellow tools and then the next, you know, next month you're using all blue tools and then the next month you're using all green tools, uh, and you're talking about how great each of them are, you know, again, you, you just got to understand about the authenticity. So as you look at saying yes to any to any manufacturer or brand that wants to send you something, you know, that's, that's the flip side of it. So that would kind of be our third thing. How does it fit with your brand? How does it work with your brand? Uh, whether that is going to be custom work that you're doing. So like, like John said, you know, whether you're doing built-ins and cabinetry, because what's going to happen is somebody's going to see that they're, somebody's going to come to their house. They're going to see that built in. They're going to go, Oh, wow, that's awesome. They're going to be like, Oh yeah, John Malecki made that for me. Well, maybe John doesn't want to make those anymore. And now, you know, all of a sudden there's going to be this name that's, or this, this different set of products and skills and installs that people start hitting him up for that doesn't align with his brand and what he wants to do. Same thing on the, on the content side. Uh, again, what's going to happen as you start growing on social media is more and more people are going to reach out to you and it's going to start small, but then it's going to trickle up to, to the bigger guys. So, you know, one of the big things right now, I mean, John, you and I talk about it. We get them. I get at least a half dozen every week. Is like these little Amazon resellers. Hey, I oh. want to send you a like a digital <laughs> yeah. room measuring I device. Got, <laughs> and <laughs> no, I got one this morning, and I told them to send me their catalog, and that maybe it'd get in my content because it's just like it's so ridiculous. It was actually woodworking tools, but they were like so cheap. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, I'm like when that's like there's like, all these are ones. You kidding? Yeah, and, and seven dollar tool, and you want to <laughs> you want a YouTube right. video dedicated to exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. If, if you do a YouTube video, we'd be more than happy to send you uh, our, you know, one our, Japanese full saw made in six Japan. Six foot 
six foot tape measure. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I got that same. <laughs> I got that same email. Those pull saws look pretty sweet, though. I asked for the whole catalog, <laughs> so we'll see. I was like, send me every one of them you got, and they might get exposure. But like, that doesn't have any cost to me. I'm already using them, so like, these are situations that are very different, right? So we get these emails all the time. And this is a specific one where it was a woodworking tool, but they're typically LED lights, like toilet bowl covers. Security, outdoor motion security, LED. Super weird. And like for me to get a brand new set of pull saws that are comparable to the ones I'm already using and uh, for free to possibly put them in my content, like, sure, there's no contract. There's no obligation. Uh, Why not? And for me, because I'm still doing some you know, sales of product um, and stuff that does make me better and more efficient and having multiples of things, you know, you break one, you have a backup, like that's nice for me. For Brad, there would be no point in that because it's not with any of the distributors you work with. It's not with any of the brands that you work with. It's not with any of the um, things that align with what you're doing. So if to do extra work and like, that's going to be the next segment of this to do extra work for something that doesn't have any like upside to it, is pretty much pointless, right? Yeah, and and that is like as I look at it, and, and interestingly enough, uh, I was actually consider. I mean, you know, not I wouldn't trade a video for product, obviously, but uh, you know, I'll probably ask him like, hey, I got I'd love to check out your flush cut because I do use a uh, a flush cut saw. You know, I'm not using it for dovetails or anything, but um, yeah, I use a flush cut saw a lot. Whether it's trimming dowels, uh, and that's mainly what I would use it for trimming dowels, or you know, just light notching work or something like that but uh but that's a great example like you said john it doesn't align with anybody i'm currently working with it doesn't align with you know any of the brands or type of tools i necessarily have like i'm using a uh uh a one that i got from the big box store a long time ago and that's the one i always link to in my videos and it's it's a great saw but it's you know it's like got a plastic handle and these like have a nice wooden handle uh and so it'd be like yeah that'd be kind of cool to have that and so that's like again when you look at it where does that fit versus mm-hmm. if it was one of these new tool brands coming up, you know, there's two or three of them now that are coming up in the cordless market and uh, that are that are super cheap, direct to consumer and that they're hitting Instagram pretty hard. Uh, clearly, I'm instantly like, yeah, no, like, yeah, I'm I'm aligned with rigid uh, that that just doesn't have any space in my channel. Uh, not interested, you know, if you come out with anything that's kind of not in that space, uh, you know, maybe we could talk about it, but that's but nothing in the cordless space uh, is going to work for my channel. Yeah, and it actually makes more work for you. So what happens a ton when brands start sending you free stuff is that it's great in theory until you actually have to use it. And if you're like if you're trying to do a piece of content based around a specific tool and it's not already integrated, it does create more work for you. And in that, you should be compensated for your work. Um, if you're so like, you know, impact drivers and drills are a great example. I have way too many, but with that, I use them in a vast majority of ways. Like I'm, when I'm building something, um, I'm probably running four, (laughs) four different drills and impacts with multiple bits in them. So I'm not switching them out. And like, that's my workflow. And that goes for me. And then I have two sets at the house. So having five sets of drill and impact drivers are great. And then I have hammer drills for cement and concrete. And then I have even bigger one that's an SDS that plugs in the wall. And then I battery power. So like you could you could figure out multiple ways. But if I was to take an exchange, by the way, I bought most of those. I've only gotten like one set donated. But in that, 
If I was to try to create content around using, say, a massive Hilti or Bosch hammer drill, that'd be very difficult. Yes, it's a tool I'd like to have in my arsenal, but for me to go and actually use it, I'm gonna have to find either a project where I'm bolting something into a wall or a client that wants a beam mantle that I'm gonna have to set in there. So that's instantly becomes more work in exchange for a tool that's a couple hundred bucks. I'm taking a day's worth of my time in order to shoot, produce it, and then make the content around it. So make sure you're weighing and considering those things because they can become a burden on your workflow, especially if you're not producing content full time. Like it's different if you're doing content full time, like you know, you can find ways to fit things in your workflow. But if you're producing and selling custom goods and a brand wants to give you a free tool and you've got to stop everything you're doing in order to create content based around it, that is time that is being taken away from what's actually putting money in your pocket. So you have to be able to say no to things that have too much work involved. Um, and it it's something that you should be considering each and every time you look at working with a brand as well. It's easy to think that it's all upside, that it's all good and beneficial until you're all in on a giveaway and you're managing through, you know, a couple hundred people that entered um, and you've got to single handedly pick out five winners and then ship and distribute all the products because of all the brands that you decided to work with. And that takes a day and a half out of your work uh, that you could be in the shop doing something like those things pop up all the time and you should be considering before they even happen how much more work is going to be involved. Yeah. And on top of that, um, I never, I mean, unless I, unless I've used it before, I mean, there, there's very, very, very few instances. And I think I've talked about this before, uh, even on that last episode, except something before I get my hands on it. So like, like this, you know, pull saw company, let's just say, right, John, and, and you said, a you kind of said it the right way is that like send them all and then like maybe they'll show up is yeah. <laughs> the same thing like you want to know because you might get this thing if you sign up they say hey i want to send you a new table saw and you say yeah great send it over and uh yeah I'll, I'll i'll do 10 videos for it and then you get it and like it's in 732 pieces right yeah. and you're like and it's junk. what what just happened and it's junk, right and so you've got to spend 15 hours assembling it uh, and then when you assemble it, it's out of square. You can't square it. The trunnion's cracked, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then, but you've already committed to this stuff. Uh, and, you know, knowing what you're getting into. Uh, so same thing from product side, knowing what you're getting into on a content side. If you've not put your hands on this product or tool, I would say you should not be saying yes to anything until, you know, say yes to, to them sending it, but do not commit to doing anything to them for them uh, until you get your hands on it. And you know that it fits into your workflow because you might get it. I've gotten plenty of tools where I'm like, wow, this is not what I was expecting. Like this doesn't work for the application I thought it would. And so, like you said, John, if I sign up for it and I've done that, I've, I've been guilty of that in the past. I said, yes, I thought it was something they sent it. It wasn't the right thing. So then I had to manufacture a new project or a new idea or use for it because I told them I'd use it. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, a drill or a driver. I, I can't recall off the top of my head exactly what these things were. But, you know, anything specialty, like if you're getting something specialty that you wouldn't necessarily use in every project, uh, then you're going to have to go out of your way to make a project that you may not have made. You know, it's like, oh, well, maybe I'll just do this because uh, they sent me this, you know, specialty jig for for making bowls. And I, you know. I thought I could do this one way and, and I really don't have a need for a bowl, but I'll have to make one just because I said I would. 
Uh, so yeah, I, I would be on the lookout for that for sure. But so, you know, kind of transitioning into, into that from, you know, how much work's involved, what's involved in there is, um, is not only, you know, saying, knowing when to say no, but how to say no and how to transition that into something better. So that's not just, you know, a, a dead end road. I think one of the things is that as you get all these inquiries, you're going to need to say no, and especially to, to customers and clients. But as you do that, uh, again, you need to look at saying no to what it is, but negotiate and look at how can this be a better fit and how can you make this fit into your time management, into the right amount of money and the right amount of work. Yeah. So um, this, there's two. OK, I'll start with an instance that I'm dealing with at the moment. Um, in that it was a good opportunity to say no, but say yes in the same light in order to get future opportunities. And so um, I'm working with a client right now, same one I talked about at the top of the show, um, and their original inquiry was uh, a list of the following. It was uh, so a custom kitchen island, two coffee tables, two end tables, a sofa table, two vanities, a custom bar top. Um, they wanted to reclaim three trees off their property and do some beams. They wanted a outdoor table made from the same trees um, and a desk. So in that I looked in the price point on it was astronomical. So I was just like, you know, eyeballs are as wide as they can possibly be. And I'm salivating. But then I, before committing to anything, I took a step back and I looked and I was like, well, capacity wise, if they're looking for a 15 foot outdoor table, I literally can't fit that in my shop. Like I only have 12 feet of <laughs> space outside of my planer. So like, how am I going to move a 2000 pound planer um, in order to plane down the timber? So I evaluated the situation in the type of project there and I ended up turning it down. But what I turned down were aspects of the project. And I said, no, you know, I'm not able to handle these parts of it, but I would love to be able to handle these. Um, so we were able to renegotiate the terms of the contract in order to do the parts of the project I was capable of. But instead of completely offloading the project that was uh, the parts that I couldn't do, what I did was I took the lead on design and then I subbed that work out to shops that are in the area that could handle it. And we're handling all of that stuff together now. So I'm still getting some money for doing those parts of the project. Um, so just because I said no to this 15 foot outdoor table, I'm still quote unquote doing it, but I'm doing it through another furniture shop in the area that wouldn't have got the job if I wasn't going to do it. Um, so those are great. That's a great instance in my personal experience that I was able to say no to a project and technically say yes and was able to upsell for the future and be able to capitalize on that opportunity. When it comes to content, these opportunities are going to pop up as well. Um, so brands are going to be wanting, brands are going to want to feel out a relationship a lot of the time. They're going to want to see what type of engagement they get. They're going to be, you got to remember these guys and girls that are working for these departments at these big brands are trying to quantify the dollars allotted to working with these, the influencer to their boss. So they have to take some sort of data or metric back to them. And that typically comes with, uh, views, impressions, and all that good stuff that goes into you know having an online profile. But in that, they're going to want to feel this relationship out, and that typically happens with donated product. So uh, when donated product comes into the equation, you have to consider the opportunity, uh, the opportunity cost, and the promotional value down the line with that brand. 
If it's a large brand that you'd love to be working with long term, then it's possible that you could, you know, turn that situation into a paid gig long down the line if you handle it the right way. Um, and this can backfire easily too. Like I've done this a lot and just got smoked, <laughs> but in that, you know, you've got to realize that there's a lot of competition in the market. And if you're willing to work for free for a brand at the beginning, they're going to assume that you want to be able to work for free long-term. And it's going to be very hard to flip that to become a paid gig. If you know, you can only accumulate so many tools, especially big tools. You don't need, um, you know, a new planer every year. <laughs> so like, there's going to be situations there where, you're going to have to consider future opportunities. And is this promotionally going to uh, be something that can work out for you? Right. And and I think that the key there is exactly what you said, John, is setting expectations, because if their expectation, if they say, hey, we'd love to send you some product and you're just like stock, just yes, absolutely send it uh, and don't say anything else. Uh, the The idea and again, this happens more as you grow in size and start taking on some paid content. But uh, if you're already taking on paid content, then at a minimum, you know, instead of instead of saying if you would typically say no, if this is a company you've really wanted to work with, this is, you know, the big brand that you've just been waiting to work with forever and you're hoping to make it a a paid conversation um, that what you can do is if they just say, well, it's free, you say, hey, you know, normally I charge for this type of content. Right. So first of all, you could you could ask, hey, um, I'd love to do some sponsored content for for money, you know, or here here are my rates. And if they come back and say, uh, well, no, we don't have the budget or, you know, no, we're not comfortable. You know, we'd like to start out with product first. That's where you get in that conversation. So instead of just, you know, instead of saying yes and just agreeing to it immediately or instead of saying no, because it's free content that you're like, well, I don't know, you can you know, you can kind of go out on a limb like John's saying and um you know, you, you don't want to do this all the time, but if it's somebody you really want to work with, go in there, bang it out, do an awesome engagement with them and then come back. But on the front end, what you want to do is say, Hey, uh, I normally get paid for this, but I'd love to work with you in the future. So I, you know, I'd be happy to do this this time. And I think I can show you the value, right. Of, of why you should be paying me, then come back, give them a full recap. Hey, I, I just did this. Uh, you know, we got, 190,000 impressions uh, on my post. We had 25,000 impressions on my story. I had the swipe up that went over there. Uh, it had 500 links. You know, what was the the uh, retention rate on that or the conversion rate? And you can go through and kind of prove yourself in a way. So instead of just saying stock yes or stock no, you can take a, you know, you can take a flyer and go out there and, and try to prove yourself uh, and, and that's, you know, that's a way that a lot of people do it, right? Because for these big brands, that's the thing is that they they are the big fish in the small pond of of influencers, and they can they can basically pick and choose who they want to work with. So if somebody's going to work with them for free, they're going to do that over somebody who's not, you know, based upon a lot of different things. But uh, that that's a great way to go about it and think about it, John. Is like. How do you convert that? But um, the intention up front has got to be that you want to turn this into a paid gig, right? So that's that's like, don't just say yes to getting the free product. Say, you know, okay, but I'd like to reevaluate this or, you know, see how this goes. And then I'd love to have a conversation about sponsored content in the future. Yeah. And there's some brands that I specifically work with for free because that's the only way that they'll work in the influencer space. Um, and it sucks, but 
I'm able to leverage those relationships in order to build relationships with other brands. Um, so, you know, if a specific company approaches you direct and they're looking to work with you, um, you know, you have to evaluate who their distributors are. Is there someone locally that can see that you are already working with brands that they distribute because you went on a limb there? Um, and then you can end up working with a distributor on behalf of that brand. You know, like there's instances like that. And those are a lot of work. And that's a lot more difficult to get into. But they do exist. So just because a brand approaches you or and, and wants free work, um, this is also going to come in a in, in a charitable aspect, too. I get this a ton. Um, but finishing up with the with the brand work, you know, just because a brand approaches you and wants to work um, on a on a. I guess like a freebie exchange kind of relationship doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing long-term for your brand. Um, evaluate other opportunities in which you can co- be compensated for working with that brand. Um, and there's typically, you'll typically be able to find something that can make that a lot more worth your while. It's going to take time and a lot of effort, but it's not, it's not essentially the worst thing on the planet. Um, so going into, you know, the other aspect of promotional or, uh, exposure is getting, you know, if, if a brand reaches out to you, um, you know, what are they willing to give up in exchange? You know, always try and be negotiating on your behalf for better terms, um, which is essentially less work, uh, that fits your availability. Um, so like if, you know, a brand approaches you, they want five posts in exchange for said tool, um, in an Instagram swipe up, you see if you can negotiate that to the swipe up in two posts. Like, why not? If they're coming at you, obviously they're going to be high and expecting to come down. So don't always just jump at an offer. You're also going to get these situations when it comes to uh, charitable organizations. And it's very, very difficult when someone's tugging on the heartstrings um, to say no. And I unfortunately deal with this all the time. But you need to be able to go from the top down here with our with our lists. And if it's a project-based relationship for something promotional with a charity, for instance, um, you need to be able to look at your calendar. Do you have time to fit this in the build and the event itself? What's your backlog look like? Are you, are you piped out for the next couple of months? You know, squeezing in a cutting board sounds easy until you actually have to do it. And then you're taking, you know, hours out of your life to make it happen just for this donation. Um, your clients are more important as is paying your bills and keeping the lights on. Um, yes, you know, something that means a lot to you is going to be uh, difficult to say no to, but there's going to be instances where you're going to have to do that. Um, what does that, you know, organization want in exchange for what you're uh, providing? You know, if, it, if, it, if, if an organization reaches out to me and they want a product and posting, um, I, I have to be crystal clear with them. Like, listen, I can't do all of this in exchange for nothing. Um because I work with brands that pay for ad space on my content specifically, you know, here's what I'm willing to do. Um, and then always ask for a, uh, you know, that what it's their 1099 or a W nine in order to write that, um, donation off as uh, a tax benefit, <clears throat> which are capped by the way, you can't just write off an exponential amount of stuff that you donated quote unquote to charity. You do need both ends of it, but, if there's a promotional aspect that can help build up the brand there or individuals that you can network with and things like that, like these are going to be situations you also need to be considering. Um, and these are actually more difficult for me than saying no to a company or uh, or j- inquiry um, just because they're typically coming in on uh, things that I personally feel passionate about and they make it a lot more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like 
who wants to say no to uh, some, you know, veteran affairs charity event? You know, it's like, but you, you, you'll go broke doing it if you don't know how to say no. Uh, because once, once they see, and that's the thing, it's like once you kind of get on the circuit and once you get a name for yourself in your community, especially if you're a larger community, then they're going to start coming out of the woodworks and, uh, no pun intended, start coming out of the woodworks and, and saying, you know, hey, we'd love to have you support our charity as well. Uh, so, you know, that goes back to planning is that, and I, we actually answered this in the after show, this question had come up, but, um, and, and our recommendation was set aside, like we fully believe and support and participate in charitable giving, John and myself, um, but we make sure that we set it on our terms and put it, basically put it in the budget. So here's how many events I'm going to do every quarter uh, or year or whatever. Here's the dollar amount that we're going to give um, and all those things. So that that's, you know, something that um, like anything else in your business needs to be accounted for and planned for. Uh, and you can't just say yes to everything on that. So uh, so, yeah, I think those are those are great ones. Um, and also, you know, just when it's coming in, whenever whenever I turn an opportunity down, I always like to leave it with uh, even if it's not like I get a ton of these that are like crazy, like, I don't know, like agencies reach out all the time and, and they just sometimes they don't even look at, uh, you know, what you're doing. Like they're asking me to, you know, promote like Cincy or something, you know, like. <laughs> We'd love to have you. We love your channel. We think some candles would be great. I'm like, have you I get seen my all the time. Like have you beauty. seen my videos? Uh, and if it's if it's a company, it's one thing. Like if it's a company, then yeah, like there's no fit there, no long term. You just say no. But if it's an agency, I always say if it's something that's out of my realm, I just don't say no. I say no. But if you ever, you know, if you have something that comes up in the DIY and woodworking space, I'd love to hear about it. Right. So leave that open ended uh, because. You know, these people, especially at these agencies and things, are working with so many clients and so many influencers. Uh, and there's a lot of boilerplate information. But what might happen when you do that? They go, oh, why did we have this guy in the make, you know, the makeup room? He's DIY. So they update their database. And then maybe down the road, they come back with something else. And that actually happened before I turned down one project. Uh, and then this agency came back. They wanted me to do like a... Um, like a four wheeler or something, not a four wheeler, but like a golf cart type thing. And I was like, that just doesn't fit with like my brand. Like I'm in, I'm in, you know, suburbia and like that just wouldn't fit. I don't have anywhere to put it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I said, but you know, Hey, keep me in mind if you have other stuff come up. And then sure enough, something else came up and uh, I ended up doing a project for it. And, and it was a, a great fit for me and the brand. And so um, always leave that open ended and, Make sure that, um, you know, like with anybody, like treat people with respect and and be polite about it when you're doing it. You know, don't like beat them up like, you know, for the makeup thing. Like, don't write them back and be like, have you even looked at my channel? Like what? This is ridiculous. Like there, there's no point in doing that. Just yeah. let them know. Hey, that, this either don't respond. You know, sometimes I'll do that. Like if I get too many, sometimes I don't respond. because You can't respond to all of them anyway. Uh, but if I do respond, I'll just say. No, not a great fit. But if you have anything come up, you know, thanks. Thanks for reaching out. Yeah. Done. Try not to burn yeah. bridges. Same thing with custom work. If you do turn down a client, you know, make sure that it's always in a pleasant way. You know, hey, yeah. sorry, I don't think I'm going to be able to accommodate this. If you'd like recommendations of some other people in the area, I recommend, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. Um, let me know if there's anything I can help you with in the future. Good luck on your project. Like your language should always be something in that type of mold. Um, if you, you, 
If you can't be seen as the person doing the job for them, you want to be seen as the person who recommended the job that's going to get done by them. You want to be seen in some sort of favorable light. Um, that way, if your name ever comes up in conversation again down the line, whether it's with that one of their associates, coworkers, uh, you know, significant other, family, whatever, you're still on top of mind because you were so pleasant. Um, yep. And you might not have fit their budget or timing or whatever it might be, but just never burn a bridge um, when you do say no. Yep, exactly. And I think that was a, that was a great episode. Hopefully, you guys got some uh, some good nuggets out of this one uh, because I, I do think that is really important, especially as your business grows, which hopefully. Uh, you guys are all growing and, and we know that you guys are putting in the hard work. So make sure you don't get stuck in some bad situations. Awesome. All right, man. Well, we are going to go over and um, hit the after show here in a minute. But if you want to check the show notes, we'll have a, a, a few things up there. Our episode over on Modern Maker, you can check it out at madeforprofit.com forward slash episode 58. Uh, and they'll also have our link to our Patreon site there. Yeah, and if you want to join the conversation, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show with our Facebook group. You can either search Made for Profit Tribe or go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Made for Profit Tribe. And we'll get into that in t- like this awesome group setting where people are bouncing ideas back and forth. They're getting feedback from one another. It's a really, really engaged and beautiful community. Um, and if you want to get involved, make sure you're checking it out. Absolutely. All right. Well, right now we are going to head over and do our after show for our patrons. Let's go knock it out, John. Let's crush it. <laughs>